Amen. What an incredible song. You know, we've been talking about this series. We started a series two weeks ago, because last week we were snowed in, but uh, uh, this Ready, Set, Go series. And Lord laid on my heart, we need to do a part two of Ready. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we will do Set and then Go. We'll get to them, I promise. But Ready is such an important part. And one of the things he laid on my heart is we've been talking about how you've heard me say the real reality and and how, uh, you know, we, Ephesians 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we we wrestle against principalities, powers, you know, rulers of darkness. Um, So we, we fight in a spirit world whether we realize it or not, and we've talked a lot about that. And... What he laid on my heart that we need to talk about is our victory in that. Because, see, sometimes, even as Christians, we can go back to where we were before we were saved, before we realized who we are in Christ, and we could be afraid. We could be afraid of what he's doing in our lives. We could be afraid of moving forward. We could be afraid of even that big building that he's promised us, right? We could be afraid of how in the world are we going to, Pay for that. How in the world are we going to take care of it? Forget pay for it. How in the world do you take care of 175,000 square feet? I don't know. (laughs) With more people. That's all I can assume. See, I could be afraid of that. You could be afraid of that. But we don't have to be. See, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. We're going to talk about that. That song is, is such an awesome song because to me it said two things. One, we are a child of God, and we're born as his child when we accept him into our heart, right? But see, that's not all. That's not all. We are also born into a family. We are born into the unity of a family, of a family that supports one another. Now, in reality, that's how the whole body of Christ is supposed to be. Unfortunately, it's very fragmented today. But do you know what? That's about to change. That fragmentation is about to change. Because over the next few years or whatever course of time the Lord decides, there is going to bring revival that will bring the body of Christ together. So when we get saved, we are born into a family. Now you here specifically were born into being a child of God, but then you were also placed in this local family. This local family, that's why I love the worship. When we worshiped this morning, when we worshiped Tuesday night, and I commented about it, it was about the unity that this family brings together. I don't know about you, I felt that this morning. I felt that, that if I would have turned the, the volume down, the volume level would have stayed the same except just without the instruments. Because I could hear everybody singing with their hearts, just singing out to him, just enveloped in worshiping him and who he is. See, we're born into a family. We're born into a family that, that helps relieve those fears. See, because we're also born with this flesh. And we, we talk about this flesh being sinful flesh, which it is. But there's another aspect to our flesh. And the other aspect is the fact that we have fear in the flesh. Nobody doesn't. 
If I were to ask everybody here, have you ever experienced fear, the only people that would raise their hand would be those who are probably lying. <laughs> or maybe they're just newborn and they haven't learned how to talk yet. You know, I, I, everybody experiences fear. That's part of what this flesh gives us. It gives us innate fear. We are born with fear. Fear, physical fear, emotional fear, fear of relationships, fear of, I don't know, you know, how you were growing up through school. We could be afraid of bullies, right? See, I wasn't always this big. As a matter of fact, when I was, I think it was second and third grade, I was one of the smaller kids in the class. I didn't get bigger until about my sophomore year of high school. And I remember, can't remember whether it was second or third grade, but I remember getting beat up at school every day. Actually, coming home from school. Getting teased at school because I was a Christian. Now, I was vocal about that, but that's because I assumed everybody was. I didn't know I was different than anybody else at the school, but then when I made it clear that I was a Christian as a second grader, that didn't go over so well with them. I was certainly not one of the cool kids. So I'd get beat up. So, so my flesh teaches me to live in fear of that reprisal. We go through high school, we get bullied, we get teased. Our flesh is taught to live in fear of that ridicule, right? It doesn't stop when we're out of school, right? It goes the rest of our lives. We're with this flesh. We're with this sinful flesh that produces fear. Why? Because that's exactly what the enemy wants to produce in us. If he can make us afraid of anything, that spirit of fear takes over our spirit of victory. It takes over what God intends to do in our lives. Why? Because fear is all-encompassing. If you're afraid of something, it encompasses everything in your mind, right? And, and it doesn't matter what that fear is. How about the fear of even finances? The fear of losing your house? The fear of losing your car? The fear of the government coming in and, or the bank coming in and taking it away because you're not paying for it? You know, these are real fears, okay? You have to understand, though, as a child of God, these are produced opposite of what the Lord intends. Because he has not given us a spirit of fear. And we're going to get into some of that. But I want to go back just briefly, since it's been two weeks, and, and I want to give you just the two points again that we talked about two weeks ago. And remember, we talked about this Ready, Set, Go series. And, and I gave the... the Example of football. Go Broncos. Hope everybody realizes the Broncos are in the Super Bowl. Thank you very much. They are severe underdogs. That, that will make the victory that much better. I am hoping for them too. I am hoping for them too. We have one more week. I, I, I'm, I'm, no, I won't even say that. won't even say that I hope... Cam gets sick or something, you know. <laughs> I know. I, did I just say that? Did I say that into the microphone? I, I don't know. 
No. No, I want their best game. I want their best game, and Denver wants their best game, because this is going to be a special time for Peyton Manning. Anyways, okay, sorry for that little tangent there. I'm going to wear my Bronco jersey next Sunday, just so you know. Um, But I gave you the example of football and how when we become ready to play in a game, okay, what's actually happening is there's practice. There's study. You know, when, when I played football, I had to study my playbook. I had to realize what was going on in each play. So when the play was called in the huddle, I knew what to do. I knew how to go and do my route. I knew how to do what I needed to do. Okay, so all that came into play, all that training came into play long before I ever took the field, took the playing field, right? I was on the practice field. And, and so, so we talked about God requires for us to be ready, and, and, and with him, it is a lifetime venture, okay? It's a lifetime venture that he teaches us. First of all, he calls us to something, Right? But then he prepares us along the way. And each time he calls us to something, prepares us, uses us, calls us to something else, it's always in a greater level of intimacy with him. It all depends on our relationship with him as to what he uses us for. But he is constantly making us ready, getting us ready. Now, the two things we have to understand in being ready... For him, ready to be used by him, we talked about two weeks ago. And one was how much he loves us. We have to realize, and I'm not going to turn there, but if you want to write it down, you, you all know John 3.16, okay? That one you probably don't have to write down. But also 1 John 3.16. Both of those talk about how much he loves us. It's important to understand how much he loves you in order to be ready. In order to let him mold you, in order to let him work on you, you have to realize how much he loves you. Because then when you know how much he loves you, you know he has your back. You know what he is doing with you and what he's doing for you is good. Even though it may not seem good. I remember when we, the thing I hated the most was running, which is odd, playing sports. You know, maybe that's why I chose football, because I played a year of soccer, and that one didn't work well with me, because we didn't really play, we just ran, and I know there are soccer players here that enjoy that, and there are runners here that enjoy that. For me, it wasn't so much the running, but when we practiced, that's what we had to do. We had to do the things we didn't like. You know, I enjoyed a little bit more getting in the weight room. That was a little bit better, although it was still something I didn't enjoy. What I enjoyed were the drills. What I enjoyed was getting out on the field and getting in the pads. But there was so much preparation that had to come before that. Do you know that a team, when they get together for their preseason workout, they go through, especially in high school, if you go back to high school, they go through weeks of training before they ever put a pad on before they're even ready to have the contact within football. Well, same with with us and God. If he has a calling for your life, which he does, he has a calling for every one of your lives. He has a calling for my life. 
And it doesn't matter where we're at with him, that calling is there. That calling is the same. The difference in how he uses us is in how much we allow ourselves to be ready. To be ready for him. Okay? Like the metaphor of going to the weight room or getting out on the track and running. How much am I in my word of God? In the word of God? How much am I praying to him? How much am I drawing close to him in intimacy, right? So it's important that we know how much he loves us because that's the very motivation that allows us to do those things. If I know Jesus Christ loves me more than anything else, if I truly believe that he would have died for just me, which he would have, if I truly believe that, I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to do the things that will get me to know him more. Why? Because he loves me. Because the God of this universe cherished me. Me. That's it. See, so I have to know how much he loves me. Secondly, what he wants from us is to believe, right? And you can write this down, Hebrews 11.6. We talked about how faith is what pleases him, but that verse talks about more than just pleasing him with faith. It's believing that he says what he says, and he does what he says. So he wants us to know how much he loves us, but he also wants, to, wants us to know that what he says, he means. When he says he'll do something, he's going to do it. He wants us to believe that. So to be ready to step out for him, step out of our comfort zone in something that he wants us to do, we better have those two things in our back pocket. We better know that he loves us, and we better believe that he's there for us. Because when we take that, take that step, just like, just like with, with Moses crossing the Red Sea, or with Joshua going in, crossing the Jordan, it was when the priests took that step into the water. It wasn't until then that he split the sea or split the river. Have you ever noticed that? See, it took the faith of believing, one, he loves us so much, he would never let us drown but he also loves us so much, I'm just going to trust that when I hit that water, it's going to split. Why? Because he said it would. He didn't leave them in the dark. He said it would. He said, just trust me, have faith, believe in what I'm telling you. So those two things are really, really important. However, there's one thing that gets in the way of that. And that's fear. Going back to the football metaphor, if, if being a freshman, I remember actually my first year of football was a sophomore in high school. I went in there and, and you know, I'd never put on pads before. And, and you get through the, the you know, two-a-days and you get through all the running and you do all this and you put on pads for the first time and, and, and then you go up against these guys in these drills I think I told you a couple of weeks ago, these drills that are intended to hurt, <laughs> they're intended to hit, it's intended to build friction, it's intended to, to produce mass chaos on the other person, right? Okay, well, a new person coming into that, that could be a little scary. I remember the first game I played in, I, I, I couldn't eat. I, I was so nervous, so afraid 
of that first hit. And I was on the kickoff team, and, and, and I, I wasn't afraid of the game. I was just afraid of it to begin. <laughs> I thought, once I, if I could just get past that first hit, then I'm good. And that's how it always was. So, so did I ever conquer that fear? I don't think I ever, ever necessarily conquered that fear. Because every game I played in, I felt the same way. I had this, this nervousness, this, I can't even describe it because it, it, was, it was mixed with fear and anticipation. And it was when I was running down on the kickoff and had that first hit, I didn't even care if the guy had the ball or not. It didn't matter. I just needed to get that first hit in. Because once I did, then I was fine. Why? Because my fears were squashed in reality. My fears were squashed in the fact that God told me, look, you're as big as they are. You can hit as hard as they can. You can play this game as well as they can. So get down there, get past your fears, and do this thing. And so that's what I did. I run down, and the whole time I'm running down, it was a process of, you know, you're running 25, 30 yards before you hit somebody, and the whole time I'm thinking... And it's getting stronger, getting stronger, getting stronger. Bam. Okay, now I'm good. Let's play the game. Right? That's how we are in life. When God calls you to, to do something, let's say he calls you to a ministry, or let's even say he, he lays somebody on your heart to share the gospel with. Ouch, that's scary. Especially if you're kind of an introverted person when it comes to that. Or maybe you've not been a Christian very long and you don't know a lot about the Bible. But God lays on your heart, go talk to this person. Go tell them about Jesus Christ. And, and you're thinking in your mind, you know in your mind, let's go back to the other two things. I know Jesus loves me. I know he wouldn't tell me to do that if he didn't have my back. You've got to believe those two things. But then the third thing is you've got to not listen to the fear. Because I guarantee you, you will be afraid. I guarantee you, when you step out of your comfort zone, when you do something you've never done before, or even if you've done it a million times sometimes, you're going to have fear of doing it. Why? Because there's a real enemy out there. And we have this, this sinful flesh we're born in that he can manipulate through fear. So, so part of this getting ready has to include conquering the fear, knowing who we are in Christ. Right? We are born as children of God. We're going to see that here in a few minutes. We're born into his family. That means we're not alone. Not only do we have Jesus Christ with us, the God of the universe, the God who created everything, but we have a family to support us as well. See, it's important to understand that. So, we, fear can stop us from moving forward. We have to conquer that fear. So, what is fear? If you look it up in the dictionary, fear say, it, the, the Webster's Dictionary says, it's an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Now, I want to back up a second because I want to add to that. It doesn't mean the danger is real. It can just be the anticipation of possible 
danger. Have you ever been, you know, everybody as a little kid has to remember a time when you were perhaps in the house alone or, or you were in a situation where you were by yourself and you didn't know where, where anybody else was and, and you got afraid. In reality, there may not have been anything out there to be afraid of. But see, it was the anticipation of what could be dangerous brings fear. So again, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Do you understand when we got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you were saved from all of that. You were saved from even the anticipation of that. You have to claim it. You have to take it. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. We're going to read 12 through 17. We're saved from having to be afraid. doesn't mean we're not afraid, but we don't have to be afraid. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Now, Paul's here talking to Christians, okay? So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, it, it's, here it's not talking, please understand, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about how we live our lives. It's talking about a physical death. Okay, For all who are led, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are called children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's huge. Think about that. Fellow heirs with Christ. But there's a caveat. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And read, read verse 15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. See, you have two choices here. According to these verses, as a saved person, you have two choices. Before you were saved, you didn't have a choice. Before you were saved, you could not live in the spirit. The spirit could not commune with you. But once you became saved... Once you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and the Holy Spirit came into your spirit, sealed you, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, once that happened, you were given a choice. It didn't automatically mean that now the Spirit just comes, wraps his arm around you, and you have no more problems the rest of your life. Right? We've talked about that. If that were the case, we wouldn't need to be sanctified. If that were the case, there would not need to be any growing closer to Christ. The very thing that he died on the cross for us to do. That's what he gets out of it, is our relationship with him. But you had a choice. You were given a choice. I could live, 
according to the flesh, or I could live according to the Spirit. That's what it says right there in verse 8, or in Romans chapter 8. And if you look at what he applies that to, he applies it to a spirit of fear. You don't have to live by the spirit of fear. You don't have to go through life afraid of every step you take. When God puts you in a direction and and say that direction is really fuzzy to you, say it's, it's all dark ahead of you, you don't see what's coming. Do you understand you have a choice in walking toward that? You have a choice to live either by the spirit of fear or by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to live by fear, even knowing or not knowing what's coming or what's there. It's all dark. You don't know what you're going to hit. You don't know what you're going to face. You don't have to be afraid. You know, I I often think this is how Christians, people who are saved, must have felt going into war. I don't know how somebody did it who was not saved went into war, except for the fact that they don't realize what the reality is. But someone who is saved going into war, who knows their final destination, who knows that they have a God who has their back no matter what, see, they can step into places no one else ever stepped. They can walk up a hill, fight up a hill, knowing that God has their back. They don't have this spirit of fear because they don't live according to the flesh. They don't allow that fear which is in their flesh to stop them. We don't have to either. We don't have to let that fear stop us in our individual lives. If God's calling us to something greater for him, we certainly don't have to let fear be the thing that stops us. Why? Because ultimately, Romans 8 just said, ultimately, we're going to be with him. Ultimately, we know we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are sons of God. If we have accepted Jesus Christ in our heart, we have been adopted into God's family. We have the the joy of knowing one day we'll be with him in heaven. No matter what. Doesn't matter what happens to us here. We have that confidence. So knowing what we step to in this life, then doesn't matter. Ultimately, if you look at the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. So what are we afraid of? Well, okay, well, I'm afraid of pain, right? So I don't want to go to war because I'm afraid of pain. I don't want to get shot. Or how about ridicule? I don't want to stand up for Jesus Christ because I don't want to be ridiculed. I I, I went through that in high school. I don't want to deal with that again. I was not liked in high school because I stood up for Christ. Or I was teased or whatever. So, So because of ridicule, I don't want to walk forward with what Christ is leading me to do. But see, if you take your focus off that pain, and I'm not saying it's not pain. You know, the Bible, anybody who tells you a, the Christian walk is an easy walk, they're, they're absolutely either lying to you or they're clueless. 
Because the Bible doesn't say that. Right? 1 Corinthians 3, it says that, that we got to count the cost. Or I think it might be 1 Corinthians 5. We've got to count the cost of what we do. We count the cost of our Christian walk. Because there is a cost. There is ridicule. And one of the things in, in the very beginning prophesied over me by Stacy Campbell was people are going to hate you. People are literally going to hate you for this path that you're on. Now, if she left it there, it would have bothered me a little bit, but the next statement made it all okay. And she said, but you're not going to care. And she's right. She's exactly right. I don't care because what the world's standards are for me have no bearing on my heart. What holds bearing on my heart is God's standard for me. What God did for me, he purchased me with his blood. So not only do I owe him my life, do I owe him everything that I am, but I want to give it to him, even if I didn't owe it to him. I want to give it. Why? Because I can see beyond this life. I can see that one day I'll be with him. And all the pain that I go through here and all the fears that I have to conquer here and whatever I may have to deal with holds no comparison to when I am with Jesus Christ. Not even close. So when you start to gain that eternal perspective of being with him and being an adopted son or daughter with Jesus Christ, it starts to fade that fear a little bit. It, it starts to make you realize there's something so much more important than that fear, that that fear can stop. And, and i got to tell you, one of the toughest places for fear, and maybe where it's developed, I think is in high school, junior high and high school, I think those are some of the toughest times in a person's life. Because trying to become a part of something or, or be accepted and not ridiculed is so important. And, and I don't deny that. It is. It is really important to be part of something. It's really important to be accepted. But where you have to be careful is who's the one accepting? Who do you want to be accepted by? Do you want to be accepted by, by the world, or do you want to be accepted by the family that you've been adopted into? See, because that's automatic. If you're saved, it, it doesn't say then you have to pass a test, and you've got to pass this cool test. And once you pass the cool test, then you get to be kind of a cool part of the family of God. <laughs> it doesn't say that. If you accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, you are an accepted person in the family of God. You're adopted as a son and daughter. I, I didn't say that. The Word of God said that. Jesus Christ said that. So we have to know how much, again, that he loves us. He did that for us. All those things conquer fear. Having an eyesight of the future, and I mean the ultimate future, being with Jesus Christ. That's what conquers fear. Do you know that if you could, 
I, I would imagine if you knew for a fact that tomorrow you everything was going to be perfect, everything in your life was going to be great, not, that you would have no problem whatsoever in any way. If you knew that to be a fact, could you get through just about anything today? Yeah. Of course. If I knew that tomorrow was absolute perfection and any problem I had was going to be fixed and I would have no problems whatsoever, there's nothing that would bother me enough today that would keep me from getting to tomorrow, if I believed that. But do you know that is set before you every day of your life right now? Do you believe that one day you will be with Jesus in heaven? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that physically you will be with him for eternity? And all the things on this earth, as the song said, will grow strangely dim. Right? When you really believe that, the cares of this world lessen. The fear of what we face in this world lessens. It diminishes the more that we trust in our ultimate place, in our ultimate destiny. So if we live according to the flesh, as Christians, then fear can conquer us. Fear can take hold and can defeat us, take us away from our directive. If we live by the Spirit, we can conquer fear. Why? Because it's not us conquering the fear. It's the Holy Spirit in us. We allow him to do that in us. Also, living by the Spirit then tells us that fear is an illusion. Okay, how many of you have been afraid of something that never came to pass? We talked about this earlier. We're so afraid of something happening. Man, I'll tell you what, I remember, she's going to get mad at me, but Brooke, growing up, she was so deathly afraid of the weather. And it's funny because I see I see Trace and Yvonne doing the same thing. I'm not sure where that comes from. I love lightning. I love thunder. I remember in Colorado we had we had uh, uh, warnings for tornadoes and I got up on the roof. I don't think my parents ever knew that, but I got up on the roof because I wanted to see them. And I did. I saw I, I counted six funnel clouds. None of them were on the ground, but I kind of I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I'm not sure where Brooke got this. Maybe, maybe some of my stories, I don't know. But Brooke was deathly afraid of the weather. I mean, you know, storm clouds coming her up. She'd hear on the, on, on the news that we're going to have thunderstorms. It's like, I look at Alexa, okay, well, she'll be in our room tonight. You know, she, she was six, six, seven years old, about the same age Yvonne is now. And she was so deathly afraid, not of what was going to happen, but what could happen. Not of what was actually on us, but what could come on us. You know, being afraid of 30 inches of snow, right? When you only get 10. That's kind of what happened to us. You guys up here got more than we did. But you're afraid of something that could happen, whether it happens or not. How about going into school, right? I, I remember back in grade school, going into school 
And remember I said that I, I would get beat up and whatever. Going into school anticipating getting ridiculed. Anticipating getting beat up. Anticipating getting shunned. You know, they don't like me, so it, you know, I'm going to eat my lunch by myself. I anticipate that. When I anticipate it, whether it's going to happen or not, when I anticipate it, I give credence to it. Right? Oftentimes, what we're afraid of, we actually bring about because of our fear. Man, that happens all the time in relationships. When we're so afraid of something going wrong in a relationship that we literally make it go wrong. I'm not sure psychologically where that comes from. But we do it all the time. We're afraid of something that is an illusion. It's a maybe. It's a not necessarily. I want to give an example of this in the Word of God. And, and by the way, there are so many examples that we can use even in, in our own life. Financial, sharing Christ. We talked about sharing Christ earlier. Oh my goodness, if I go and share Christ, they're going to bite my head off. They're going to hate me. And then all of a sudden you conquer that fear, you go talk to them, and wow, you walk away from there, and they actually received Christ. What, what was that all about? You know, it was a fear that was a fear of a reality that was an illusion. It wasn't even there. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm actually going to, instead of reading just the verse that has to do with this, I want to read this whole story because this is really an amazing story talking about Elisha and his servant. And, and basically, I want to read the whole story so you get a gist of what's going on. Okay, but, but again, this, this is, gives us an example of how fear is, is really an illusion and not reality. Okay? Let's, let's start in verse 8. Once the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, who was Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So Elisha warned the king of Israel, don't go down to this place. The king of Syria is there. Right? Okay, so, so he was saved. It said there more, more than once or twice. Verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, he thought he had a person in the camp that was a spy. Who's telling them where we're going? Who's giving the information out that, that we keep moving? We're, we're after Israel, and one of you is a spy. Who is it? You know, the way we read it, it seems kind of benign, but people's lives were at stake here. Okay, whoever he found was going to be the, the, the traitor was going to be killed. And uh, uh, verse 12, And one of his servants said, None, my lord. O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. In other words, Elisha is there telling everything that you say in private, he reveals to the king of Israel in public. 
And he said, go and see where he is. The king of uh, Syria said, go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So Elisha is in this city, the city of Dothan. He's in this city, and, and overnight, all of a sudden, all these horses and chariots and arm, armed men surround the entire city where, where Elisha is. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And he had a servant with him. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? In other words, he was afraid. He was in fear. I want you to put yourself in the place of this servant. Don't put yourself in the place of Elisha. Put yourself in the place of this servant. He thinks he's about to die. Or or at best, become a slave. Because the city surrounded by an army. They didn't have an army with them in the city. He had Elisha with him. So he was greatly afraid. Think of where his mind is at in this. You can imagine what he's starting to picture. He is seeing this army. Now he's picturing his demise, right? Then Elisha said, verse 16, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now imagine the servant's reaction to that. What? You're looking back in the city. I'm not seeing anybody that is capable of fighting this army. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, I would imagine he kept his mouth shut because he probably had seen other things from Elisha. But you can imagine what's going on in his mind. Why? Because fear has captured him. Fear has captivated him. He is afraid for his life. He's looking out and he sees the armies and then Elisha says, don't worry, we got more on our side than they have. It would have been priceless to see the look on his face. Just dumbfounded like, dude, you do not know what you're talking about. I don't, I, I don't think you understand the reality of what's going on. Right? All the same excuses we use when we face a fear of something God tells us to do. Lord, you don't understand. I am not capable of that. You don't understand. I don't have the finances to do that. You don't understand, Lord. I wasn't even built that way. Or like Moses You don't understand, Lord. I can't even speak to people. We start coming up with these excuses because fear has captivated us. It's it's literally entangled our hearts. So verse 17, let's go on. What does Elisha do? Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Just a real simple command. See, Elisha saw the real reality. And he said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see what I see and what I was talking about. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire 
all around Elisha. See, so he got to see the reality of who God was versus who the king of Syria was. Oh my goodness. If God would open our eyes to the fears that we hold on to. See, you can imagine he's holding out there this incredible victory. We won't read on, but if you read on, what ends up happening is is Elisha prays, Lord, blind them. Blind them all. And he blinds them all. And literally defeats this army. Takes it before Israel. And you, you can read on the rest of the story. But there is victory for Elisha and the servant. Elisha knew that. Because he knew who was on his side. He saw the reality of what it was. Now, oftentimes, as, as we live our lives, God, God places us in a position. He wants us to do something. We're not sure how in the world that's going to happen. Or even more, when the enemy comes after us, we don't know how we're going to defend ourselves. See, we have to pray, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I might see you taking care of it. So I might see who is really for me versus who is against me. Do you know when you ask for that wisdom, he'll give it to you? You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wonder how am I going to get through this next day, this next week, this next, next month, even this next year? Because he is for us. Right? What did, what did, what did Elisha, Elisha say in verse 16? He said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are, are more than those who are with them. He was saying, believe God, because God's got your back. The very power of God is on your side. If he calls you to do something, he is going to give you everything that you need to do it with. That includes courage. That includes fighting that fear. 2 Corinthians 9.8, But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He uses the word all in there three times. It pretty much includes everything. (laughs) It includes all. He gives us everything we need for what he calls us to do. When the Lord tells you to do something or puts you on a path in your life, you can rest assured he will give you everything you need to go down that path. To accomplish what he gives you to accomplish. Even though the enemy might be telling you, be afraid. You're going to get ridiculed. You're going to face so much resistance, people are not going to like you. No, worse than that, people are going to hate you. You're not going to have the money to deal with it. You know, if the Lord's telling you to go speak to somebody about the gospel... The enemy's telling you, they're not going to receive that. I mean, look at their life. They're going to hate you. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to tell you exactly what you're afraid of. That you aren't good enough. 
You aren't good enough to be sharing the gospel. You aren't good enough because of this, this, and this in your life. And Christian, don't listen to that. That's the enemy. Don't listen to the enemy telling you you cannot do what God has told you to do. That he's literally given you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. And by the way, there are things that he's called all of us to do. You don't have to have a specific calling on your life to share the gospel. He's told us all to do that. He that winneth souls is wise. You know, Matthew 28, we're, we're to go out into all the world. We're to make disciples. That wasn't the calling of the church, by the way. That was calling of the church body. That means you. That means me. It's all of our responsibilities to go out and make disciples. It doesn't have to be just within the confines of, of the local church. Because it's the body of Christ that that charge was given to. So you don't have to wonder if your calling in life is to share Christ with others. That's a, that's a calling for all of us. So in that, he will give us everything that we need to accomplish it. That includes speaking to somebody. That includes fighting this fear that the enemy's going to put in front of us, right? So if you want to be ready, if you want to be ready for God to use you, you must give your fears to Jesus Christ. See, the fears are real. You're going to have fears. By the way, I don't care how much you become a super Christian, you're always going to have and be subject to the possibility of fear because we're in this fleshly body. And that is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. However, to fight that, to conquer that time and time and time again, builds up in your spirit, builds up in your intellect, the understanding that the enemy is not as strong as you make him out to be. And the more those fears are conquered and, the, and God does these things in your life, the more you realize that. So no matter what happens, we have to trust that God is with us. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. No matter what happens, we have to trust God is with us. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to read 17 and 18, says this. Verse 17. By this is love perfected or completed with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, as he is so also are we in this world. Talking about Jesus Christ. There is no fear in love, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You want to know how to conquer fear? Increase your capacity for love. It says love that is perfected or completed in us casts out fear. A perfect love casts out fear. 
Why? Because that's the one thing Satan doesn't understand. He doesn't know how to fight against that. He doesn't know how to deal with that because he doesn't even know what it is. So when you are faced with a situation where you are in fear of that, plug love right into the middle of it. Grow in love in that situation, and the fear will diminish. Why? Because they cannot occupy the same space. They can't. Just like the enemy and the Holy Spirit cannot occupy the same space. You want less of the enemy, draw in more of the Holy Spirit. Right? So perfect love casts out fear. Those who hate you, those who come after you, those who ridicule you, those who make you feel small, make you feel inadequate, those who build a fear inside of you, you want to conquer that? Bring in love. Love that person. Recognize your destiny. And when you recognize your destiny with Jesus Christ, you develop empathy for that person. You develop a caring for that person that wasn't there before. That's love. You begin to fall in love with that person. I can't wait. In, in, in a week and a half, I, I go to Nigeria for the first time. And, you know, one of the things that, one of the areas that I'm going to be preaching in, there are some Muslim villages that, that I'm going to be preaching in um, that I'm really excited about. Now, don't, don't fear, because it's not up north where Boko Haram is and all that right now. Okay, don't fear, because whatever God calls us to do, calls me to do, he'll give me the grace to do it. But do you understand, if I want to reach those Muslim people in those communities, I have to love them. I don't have to be afraid of them. Why? Because there's nothing the enemy can do to me. Zero. Nothing. He cannot do anything to me that God does not allow. So I don't have to be afraid. I can go in there with confidence, falling in love with these people who don't know Jesus Christ. See, we have that same thing here in the States. We go into these circles that we're afraid to deal with. Because of ridicule, maybe even because of violence, who knows? You know, how many of us are probably afraid to go door-to-door witnessing in eastern Wilmington? Yeah, I, I, I mean, you'd be crazy not to be. But you know, if God tells you to do that, you don't have to be. You don't have to be afraid of that. If you want to fight that fear of doing something like like that, fall in love with the target of it. Fall in love with the very thing that you're afraid of. If you're afraid of facing those people because of violence or anything else, start praying for those people. Falling in love with their soul, realizing where they're at and where they need to be. That they need to know Jesus Christ because of what he can do in their lives. So see, that perfect love casts out all fear. 
And because of that, we can move through life knowing that we're protected. When you insert love into the situation and it casts out fear, you can now walk through life no matter what you're walking into. And you can know that you're protected. What amazing confidence to be able to know that. What, what amazing feeling to know that God's got my back no matter what, period, done, stamped, finished. If he tells me to do it, I step. Step, step into the river. Okay. There you go. Worst case, he'll help me swim. But in reality, what we learn is he removes the obstacles. Right? He removes those obstacles. I want to finish up with Psalm 23. You all know Psalm 23. You've heard this. You've read it. But turn to it. See, David is, is a person who had a lot to be afraid of at different times in his life. You know, he started his public career, if you will, fighting Goliath. I'm sure he had reason to be afraid because David was also not a big guy. You know, Goliath being over nine feet tall and, and David was a young boy. And not, a, not only a young boy, but he wasn't a big young boy. So he had reason to fear what was probably, you know, 400 pound, no fat, giant, trained in warfare. But see, David knew his destiny. David knew that one day he'd be with the Lord and, and whatever God you want me to do, I'm good with it because I know you've got my back. Why? Because you did it with the lion, you did it with the bear. You've proven yourself in my life over and over again. So see, David had reason to be afraid. David was even running from his own son, Absalom, who wanted to kill him to take over the throne. So David had reason in his life to be afraid. But I want to read Psalm 23 and keep in mind what we were just talking about, about how perfect love casts out all fear. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will have no need, in other words. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. In, in, in other words, a, a rod or a staff was a symbol of authority. So Christ's authority covered David. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, he wasn't saying that, that now that he's saved, nothing bad will ever happen to him. He wasn't saying that. He said, no matter if I have to walk through the valley of death itself, no matter if I have to face that giant, no matter if I have to face anything else, I can do it. Why? Because I know you're with me. Your very authority covers me, takes care of me. 
And ultimately I realize that one day I will be with you. One day it will culminate to that relationship being together in heaven. See, so it wasn't that David was avoiding the problems. He was simply avoiding the fear of those problems. Because he said, I will have no fear because you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Your very authority comforts me. Why? Because it's over the enemy. That, that thing that, that I would be afraid of, I am literally con- combined with the person who is greater than all of that. Wow. When you are connected to the person that is greater than all of your opposition, what's there to be afraid of? That's the perspective that we need to have. So in conclusion, to be ready means to trust Jesus with our very lives. We have to trust him with our lives. We have to step out of our comfort zones and move in victory. Not fear. Don't let the enemy let fear creep into your lives that brings a setback in you being ready. Because fear is an illusion. Fear is nothing that can be that that can conquer your savior. Fear has no more control over you than what you let it have over you. Get the perspective of who Christ is. Get the perspective of his rod and his staff. His very authority that covers you. Psalm 23 said he anoints his head with oil. Right? He blesses him with his anointing. He covers him with his power, with his authority. David's not unique. You and I have that same capability within our relationship with Jesus Christ. Recognize his authority over the enemy. Recognize that he anoints you with his oil. He covers you. He loves you. No matter what. Recognize that. Let's bow our heads in prayer.